0: Welcome, everyone, to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. This month, we have a great episode with Dr. Marie Tiart. Dr. Tiart is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon in South Africa. She was the founding member of the South African Association for Female Orthopedic Surgeons and was recently elected to be the second vice president of the International Orthopedic Diversity Alliance. A note for our listeners. There is a moment in which our audio cut out during the interview, so the quality of sound in the second half of our interview is different than the first. The good news is that you can still hear our conversation and the great work Dr. Tiart is doing with her efforts to increase diversity in orthopedic surgery. I was truly inspired by speaking with Dr. Tiart, and I'm excited to share with you this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Marie Tiart. Dr. Marie Tiart, thank you so much for joining us on the She Can Fix a Podcast. I'm very, very, very excited to have this conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to speak with us today.
1: Oh, no, thanks for having me. Believe me, the pleasure is all mine.
0: Amazing. So what I would first love to do is understand your background. So in your own words, can you describe hometown, where you did your medical training, and where you took your career after your training?
1: Okay, so I grew up in Pretoria, so that's um, inland uh, in South Africa, Uh, and I stayed there for um, university, so I went to the University of Pretoria for undergrad, um, which in our country is six years, and then we have to do one-year internship. Um, before you can basically be seen as like an independent practitioner. So I did my internship in Durban, which is on the coast, East Coast. Um, but I did, nowadays it's two years. I did one year um, and I didn't get any orthopedics uh, exposure. Um, I just did surgery, gyne, and pediatrics. And then after my year of internship, um, we do a year of community service, which is not prison time. It is uh, just a year of um, giving back um, because our uh, varsity fees essentially get subsidized by the government. They want you to do a year back in a smaller uh, hospital. Um, And so I was sent to Standerton Mpumalanga, which is um, the state in your terms, but province in our terms, just south of Gauteng where Pretoria and Johannesburg are. And then I did a year there. Um, there was it's run by really um, sort of junior doctors, so there was no orthopedic surgery. Everything we did orthopedics was um, non-operative. But I really enjoyed it. I loved um, orthopedics as a medical student, um, and I did. I got sort of a cum laude in my undergrad orthopedics, and then. I really enjoyed any kind of surgical thing. So when I did internship, I really enjoyed general surgery uh, and then community service. I was really quite torn between orthopedics and general surgery. So when I applied then for a medical officer time, so that's like um, just before your residency. It's sort of this time that you do beforehand, waiting for a post. Um, I applied uh, for a general surgery post and an orthopedic post. And uh, I didn't get either. Uh, and so I was sent into this yeah, general uh, medical officer post. Um, and I was only there luckily for like four months. And then I got uh, a medical officer post in Worcester, which is a small town in the Western Cape. And I got it in orthopedics. And um, essentially, on that first day, I knew that this is where I should be. Um, And then, yeah, the rest is history. Then I, yeah, went on to residency. Nice. And can you talk about, so it sounds like you're traveling all
0: over South Africa throughout your kind of medical school and training. Is that basically, and I think the same for me, like I did my training on the West Coast for medical school, and then now I'm on
1: the East Coast for my residency. So is it kind of the same thing with South Africa? exactly so the internship and community service posts you need to apply so there's a central database and you apply and then you you have your top 5 choices and then it's essentially where the how the dice rolls right and then for for residency you um apply to that specific university mm. um and then y- you figure out if you um get the post or not so a lot of people will apply to a few universities um, and undergo interviews. And then essentially, whichever one they get residency um, slot, then that's what they take. Or mm-hmm. if you're lucky to get, say, two, then you can pick the one that you like. But so med- medicine in South Africa is a lot of moving around. Um, right. But then once once you do residency, it's essentially five years in one spot, maybe moving within that city, but mm-hmm. um, not, not generally not uh, very far. Right.
0: And then do you, is it in, at least here in the uh, in US, it's very much, you know, you most folks do a fellowship um, in the sense that they choose a spe- one of the eight specialties to do a fellowship in. Is it true in South Africa where a majority of folks
1: do a fellowship? <laughs> So historically, no. So historically, um, most people would do general orthopedics and become a general uh, orthopedic surgeon Mm. and then uh, get a spot somewhere in private or state um, and then uh, do a bit of everything. Um, But that's like 40 years ago. Nowadays, because of, um, you know, the internet and... Access and newspapers, etc., um, your patients want a subspecialist. So it's now becoming far more the norm for people to do fellowships. Mm-hmm. Um, the fellowship programs are also improving regarding um, access, so actual amounts of fellowships, mm-hmm. uh, as well as um, quality, because the problem with a fellowship uh, in our country is. It is not a state funded uh, salary, ah. which means we need um, industry support in mm. order to fund that fellowship. Um, and that can be tricky. So I think that's why it's been quite a while sort of coming many years on um, to where we are now. Um, and not every university will offer every subspecialty. So in my um in my department currently we've got a, a trauma fellowship, we have a tumor sepsis recon fellowship which is one, mm-hmm. we have arthroplasty, and we have spines, uh, and we've recently added a upper limb fellowship, mm-hmm. which will be a sort of a combination of upper limb and and um, hands, but there isn't a foot and ankle yet. And we are still sort of in talks for a pediatric one. Mm-hmm. So most people will either follow that traditional route, those um, fellowships that I mentioned, or they will go overseas.
0: Wow. That's, that's incredible. And you chose to subspecialize in pediatric orthopedics?
1: Yes. Yes. So, well, I think pediatrics found me. Um, <laughs> throughout my residency... Um I actually I enjoyed hand surgery and mm-hmm. we have to do a um like a research project but it's quite a it's quite intense it's uh, we um, it's sort of just under a PhD so it's sort mm-hmm. of a master of medicine um project right and I did mine in hand surgery hand surgery topic and I all along thought I was going to do hand surgery and then when I did my rotation in pediatrics, um, our now sort of head of department was the pediatric consultant. Uh, well, actually, no, he was sort of the head of department, but he was still quite involved in pediatrics. And he um, said to me, no, he really thinks I need to do pediatrics. Um, he thinks this will be a good fit for me. Right. Um, and I hadn't even thought about it until sort of really at the end of my um, residency. And then I had to essentially scramble to get a fellowship, which I then did um, in, the, in the United Kingdom.
0: Oh, nice. Wow. And I know that we've talked a lot about kind of how the educational medical education system in South Africa works, but I was hoping you can also speak about, you know, here in the United States, it's, you know, we often talk about like the gender gap in orthopedics and how You know, I think right now we're about like maybe 15, 16% of female residents and maybe like seven or 8% for female attendings within the United States. Is this also the case in South
1: Africa as well? Yeah, absolutely. So we are currently still sitting at 5% of the total. Mm. So I looked at the stats in 2020 and we had 51 qualified female orthopedic surgeons. But I need to. I need to also just say that that is ever, like ever in the history oh, wow. of South Africa. Oh wow! <laughs> there are yeah, there are fifty-one women that had qualified ever um, in 2020, and in that same year we had 27 residents,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is quite a big number. Um, I can't remember the the percentage, but it's about. I think 11 or 12. So it's getting better. Mm -hmm. And then we had um, 41 female medical officers. So that's that year I was telling you about pre-residency or the years rather. Um, So it's women that are interested in doing orthopedics and they're waiting to become um, residents. But -hmm. as you can see that 41 falls to 27. Mm -hmm. So we have quite a big dropout rate between the medical officer and the registrar uh, years, the res- mm. what well, we call it, registrar residency, um, and so that's where we need to really improve is to try mm. and retain those medical officers.
0: Well, wow. have you what um, systems or programs have been implemented to s- sort of help that transition period and to try to recruit those folks?
1: Um. So before SAFOS. Um, probably nothing right so yeah so i think i've i've had this discussion so many times with my american colleagues and i i really feel that if we look at diversity and inclusion and um improving the um gender gap um i i do believe that south africa is still quite a few years behind mm. So, um, and I think that's what sort of spurred me on to form like a female ortho society mm-hmm. is the fact that there was no um, so, sort of improved support and mentorship towards improving the numbers.
0: Right. Yes. And so as we're talking about this, you basically are the founding member of the South African Association for Female Orthopedic Surgeons. And so, you basically created this organization to, you know, help um, improve diversity within South Africa, and I and I think that this was a recent um, basically formation of this organization. And so, can I can you talk about sort of the goals that you have moving forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've I formed um, or sort of the idea came about probably sometime in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd just come back uh, from fellowship uh, and I in fellowship um, in the UK, the amount of female orthopaedic surgeons was astounding. Uh, mm. I'd never met so many. Um, and it was a real um it was a real eye-opener in the sense of when I was a resident, um when I was first-year residency. There was a a female resident in fourth year, so almost near her finishing time. So we do five years of residency. So she was very senior Mm -hmm. and there was one female consultant. And we were the only three that have ever qualified at that university in orthopedics ever. Wow. So, yeah. So um, it was, it's, it's quite a lonely place then because you have this, female consultant who's trying really hard to um, fit in and manage and uh, be the best she can be. You have this next female resident who's very senior, about to write her final exams, and then you have this really junior um, female resident. And to be fair, I didn't really um, I didn't really notice the lack of support. Does that make sense? Until Mm -hmm. I went to the UK. And then you're now surrounded where I think we were more than 50% of the consultants were female. Again, it was a pediatric unit. So there were nine consultants and there were probably three males. Um, But it was just a nice, it was a very different place to work. It was very much a female orthopedic surgeon is not a strange thing. Uh, You don't have to walk around trying to prove yourself or um, show your worth. You can just be yourself, and that's okay. And I think that really, that really sort of stuck with me. That these w- these women were really informally mentoring me. Mm-hmm. You know, just being really good colleagues and being a great sort of um, consultants, training me in pediatrics. But it just made me realize that you need that support of somebody who's been there and been and is very similar to you, right? So. Mm-hmm. When I came back, I thought we need to do something like this. We need to at least create sort of a group and like have a place that is, you know, a safe space to chat about any issues. And and then with that sort of came the idea of mentorship and networking. Um, so, yeah, so basically in November 2020, I introduced the idea of the society and I quickly formed an executive committee. So there's uh, four of us from, different parts of the country, so we are um, representing sort of geographically as well as um, racially, so Mm -hmm. we're all like different um, races as well to have some nice diversity. Um, And we have a mentoring system essentially um, all the women in orthopedics we sort of reached out to and said, would you like to join, would you like to mentor, etc. Mm-hmm. And so our society includes um, attendings, residents, and these medical officers. Um, but it's still in its infancy, um, but it's it's very exciting because you can see that it means a lot for the medical officers because they don't feel so alone, right. um, and having that person who can essentially mentor them if they need something, you know what I mean? Like if they have a question or right. just need someone to talk to, they've got that lifeline.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. And it, I think it's that phrase, you know, you can't be what you can't see a little bit. And I think it's, you know, even for me, I, I think I can totally relate because I think what's nice is, you know, I've been able to see so many female attendings here, so many female Um, you know, residents, chief residents gone by and even some of them who were pregnant, some of them who were breastfeeding and all these sorts of things. And so when I went through that process, it was like, well, of course I can be pregnant and still be, you know, a resident. And of course I can breastfeed while also operating. And so it was nice to be able to have those People who I could see and I always knew that I would be able to send them a text and be like, hey, what did you do when this happened or, you know, those sorts of things. And So that's, you know, congratulations on forming this group. It's really exciting. And and it's great to hear that, you know, people and folks across all in South Africa are getting together as well. Um, What I also wanted to talk about was your work with the International Orthopedic Diversity Alliance. And so you were the African regional representative. And now congratulations on this. You were recently appointed to be the second VP of the International Orthopedic Diversity Alliance. And so I was hoping you can first just kind of describe what this group is about and what its goals are.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. So essentially, IOTA um, was founded a couple of years ago by, there was a, a, a whole bunch of founding members from all over their respective countries um, that had all previously engaged in activities to advance diversity and inclusion. Um, and then they thought this would be great to form an alliance of orthopedic surgeons to collaborate you know, across the globe. Um, and they found that um, there, you know, sort of, it wasn't only a gender issue, there was mm-hmm. also sort of like underrepresented groups. Um, and so it sort of has uh, moved on from not only including um, sort of gender um, diversity, but including the under, you know, sort of diversity at large. Mm-hmm. So essentially um, what the goals are is to champion diversity, um, equity and inclusion for the orthopedic um, sort of global culture, um, and to allow everyone who's in this culture to thrive. Mm. So our goals um, are going to be to um, expand the reach of global diversity efforts, Um, so essentially raise awareness of these things, um, equip all our members regarding um, the knowledge and have tools um, to create and sustain um, diverse and inclusive environments um and one of our goals is um to develop a sustainable organisation because currently um it's not a funded society and we're or right. organisation so we're hoping yeah with industry um support uh, we'll be able to just move from strength to strength nice nice and i know that um you've been able
0: to interact with many folks from across the world have there been kind of similar stories that you've heard when you've talked about you know the challenges that you have faced you know as a woman in orthopedic surgery
1: yeah absolutely it's it's always amazing to me to to listen to all these different stories of people from all different backgrounds different socioeconomic groups, different cultures, different race, and realize that all our stories are the same. Everyone has stories of struggle, of discrimination, but also of support and hope. So I think that's really important um, is to understand that while I think it's really important for women to support other women in orthopedics, I think a lot of us have got where we are by having a senior male sort of surgeon in our lives that has Mm -hmm. supported and uplifted us. And I think that's really important is that comes across quite a lot sort of globally is this idea of a male ally and how important their roles are. Um, And I think it's really important, especially since we, we are, um, you know, in our country, the 5%, um, I think in the U S it's still 6%, like, of all orthopedic surgeons i think because we are such a minority we have to look to allies to help change the culture to um be aware of what's going on regarding uh, gender disparity etc because if you are in the ma- majority you are essentially the the pre- the people that change the culture or dictate Mm -hmm. the culture rather. Right. And I think that's what's really important is to, if we improve awareness, like, hey, this is happening um, and we have, you know, allies on our side, we have a better chance of actually changing the course of orthopedics um, so that everyone can just feel, um, you know, a, a belonging in our culture or in our society.
0: Right, right. And I was hoping you can kind of talk about what it is you think that either the US or countries around the world can learn from South Africa, whether it be with regards to efforts to improve diversity or even just medicine in South Africa in general.
1: So what I would say is um, we have an incredible trauma load. Um, mm-hmm. It is truly insane. So um when we when we look at sort of how what what we're seeing in percentage of things, um, trauma is in, is really intense. Mm. So, if we think about what we could be doing research on, um, trauma is what we know really well. Right. Um, we do suffer with um, lack of resources, but I when I mean lack of resources, it's theatre time and nursing staff. So you know, if I can just compare, I work in a big tertiary hospital we service um, you know a couple of million people Mm -hmm. and in pediatric orthopedics in a week I get a day and a half of theater time whereas in the the UK which I think serviced the area I was in maybe 700,000 so under a million every single orthopedic there was like five days of full theater slates, so all week,
2: um, mm-hmm.
1: pediatric orthopedics uh, had a slate, which is insane. Like, I wish I had so much theater time, <laughs> so um, we, yeah, so we've got a massive patient load, but I think what uh, m- might not be well known to everyone is we have access to like all um, implants. So it's hmm. really, um, we're really fortunate in that way, and um, so. We get exposure to sort of everything, all the different major companies. Um, and so I would say South Africa, regarding orthopedics, we are, you know, great leaders in trauma uh, and recon- reconstructive surgery. So we've got a lot of neglected cases, chronic osteomyelitis, non-unions, et cetera. So we have a lot of reconstructive cases that um, that we see, and I think we manage really well.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I think, you know, Dr. T. Art, we've talked a lot about, you know, what you've done in the past and what you're currently doing, but I would love to discuss um, your future goals and directions for you clinically and research, as well as your work for all these various organizations.
2: Yeah, so, um, I really enjoy, um, challenging hip surgery. Um, and the modified done procedure for severe sufi slips is not something done very commonly in South Africa. So uh, we've probably, in the unit, done about five or six. So it's still quite a hair-raising, tachycardia-inducing operation, but I, <laughs> I really, really enjoy it. So so goal long-term is to become uh, really proficient uh, in this, procedure um, and other challenging hip procedures. Regarding research, I'm currently busy with a prospective uh, research project on pediatric osteomyelitis. We're looking at the PVL exotoxin strain, which hasn't uh, been studied in South Africa before. Uh, And the plan is to essentially um, register this uh, project as a PhD um, this year. So it's sort of part of like oh, wow. a big, yeah, group of <laughs> things I'm doing. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I've just finished, uh, interviewing some residents and consultants for a project, uh, looking at women in orthopedics, uh, their lived experience, uh, which is going to bring up some really, um, interesting data. So it, that is, it's very exciting. Uh, and part, our second part of that project is, to interview our medical students and their impression of orthopedics, because as we know, most people choose a subspecialty or a, you know, a speciality in med school. Uh, and if we can already identify what they're seeing, you know, or their perception of orthopedics, we could hopefully change um, that for the good, for the better. Uh, and then regarding the organizations, essentially what we want to do is create um, awareness and uh, have exposure at different conferences to discuss diversity, inclusion, and belonging. So uh, at our annual Congress in September, I'm hoping to have another diversity um, slot. Uh, And in this uh, session, we essentially just um, discuss uh, different um, topics that are important to women in orthopedics uh, with a view of having an uplifting and positive message.
0: Wow, that's awesome! And I know you—you know—with the pediatric osteomyelitis, you guys see a lot of that in South Africa. Like, do you think you see it at a higher rate than what we see here in the U.S.?
2: Um, It's—it's difficult to say. I think anecdotally, I feel that way. So, if we look at how many patients just my unit sees in a year, uh, when we looked at our data from, I think twenty eighteen, we saw over eighty patients. Wow. So that's it's quite a lot for one for one unit, um, and I never have one a week that, that goes by where I don't have one or two patients admitted. Uh, mm. So it's it's yeah it's a lot. We see a lot of infection, we see a lot of uh, trauma, of course, and we see a lot of delayed presentation uh, pathology. So really severe mm. blouse, um, you know, uh, malunions or fractures. Um, things like that. So that's, that's the scope, um, of our work
0: really. Wow. That's incredible. And I know Dr. T. R. And I know you have many a things to do. So I would love to jump into our segment of the final five, which are the final five questions I ask every guest on the, she can fix a podcast. And so my first final five question for you is what is your favorite procedure to perform and why?
2: Uh, so I like all hip surgery. Um, I I think most of us in, in pediatrics start with your various irritation femoral osteotomies. So mm-hmm. um, I enjoy doing them because it's it's part of the workhorse. Um, and most of the time now I'm I let my residents do that. Um, I enjoy the valgus um, femoral osteotomy because of the immediate um, improvement in range of motion, which is really satisfying. Um, I like doing open reductions for DDH, uh, and, of course, as I've mentioned, the modified done. So anywhere around the hip, I'm the happiest.
0: What are your go-to topics for grand round presentations and just presentations in general?
2: All right, so uh, when I'm not speaking to... Topics of you know regarding women in orthopedics and diversity. If I'm uh, teaching medical students, my go-to are um, dis- discussing pediatric femoral shaft fractures, just because the treatment in children is so different from adults. Um, I always discuss the signs and symptoms of non-accidental injury because, of course, the risk of missing this is devastating. And I always discuss pediatric osteomyelitis and septic arthritis because it's so common. Um, And again, if we miss it, um, it has a really devastating effect. We probably have one or two mortalities a year. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: That's so, it's so interesting to kind of hear how like, you know, in different places of the world, you're an expert because of the way that, you know, patients have a delayed presentation or just, you know, different socioeconomic factors and everything. So that's incredible. Exactly. Um, This is usually the hardest question, but what is your favorite story slash memory as an orthopedic surgeon?
2: All right, so uh, I've got I've got two that I can that come to mind. Um, the first was when I was a sort of mid-level resident. We do ICU as a rotation, um, and in ICU you are surrounded by all different rotating residents. So you've got a urology guy, a gyne person, um, a bunch of anaesthetists and general surgeons. Um, and you are still expected to do everything that uh, everyone does. So we um, insert the central um, venous lines, we do the arterial lines, um, everything. And we had a visiting Canadian consultant um, who was an ICU sort of specialist, and he was pretty impressed because on the one side of the room, he had an orthopedic surgeon, which was me at the time, putting in a CVP, and my my friend, who was a guy, he was busy putting in an A line, and um, he was just sort of amazed at the, the fact that we could do all of these things. So that was right. that was something sort of yeah that we were you know quite happy to hear. And then when I was a resident uh, rotating in pediatrics, um, I was walking down the corridor just outside our um, clinic. And one of our um, wheelchair-bound, um, cerebral uh, palsy children uh, walked past me, or well, was uh, wheeled past by the parents, and I was walking past. Um, and as I walked past, the child actually recognised me and reached out toward me. Um, and I, I was so touched by this because I think you, you almost forget that inside this, in you know, inside this person who's really physically disabled is a little human being with a personality and a memory and, and uh communication. Um and I was just I was just really touched by this and I wrote about it at the time on Facebook and I'm always like um you know I I always love seeing that memory come up again every year on Facebook. Um yeah, so it's just it always just reminds me that even if people um have a different form of communication, it doesn't mean that they don't see
0: you or aren't sort of present if that makes sense yeah wow that's so special that's incredible um i know we've talked a lot about medicine and the work that you do in the OR, but i was hoping you can discuss what are your favorite activities outside of the operating room and outside of medicine
2: Okay, so I um, really enjoy um, any outdoor activities. I'm lucky enough to live in Cape Town, which has an incredible mountain, and I live on the sort of um, footsteps of it, uh, and we are really close to to the ocean. So I like to spend my weekends um, hiking um, or doing anything in the ocean, like trying to surf uh, at my age. Um, but I will try, I will try anything, um, anything once. So um, yeah, I like anything outdoors. And then uh, regarding sort of things that I'm like passionate about outside of medicine, I'm a huge uh, Formula One fan. So um, every, you know, sort of every second Sunday afternoon is spent like glued to the telly, um, watching, watching cars go around, which is, really strange i know but um i
0: really love it yeah no it's incredible i think i i think in south africa formula one drivers they almost have a sort of celebrity status which is not something i ever ever experienced um here and i think it th- that's incredible i know south africa it's huge rugby fans as well but yeah that's so incredible formula one um and dr t Hart, my final question for you is what advice do you have for orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons in training?
2: All right. So I have a few thoughts. Um, so number one is to be sensitive to your colleagues. Uh, everybody is dealing with some, something, uh, some kind of situation, even if they don't verbalize it. And I think we need to treat each other with kindness and grace Um, because you have no idea what's actually going on in people's lives Um, and following on that is this word that's become the sort of catchphrase now in our department but it's um, the term sonder which essentially means that every person around you um, is living a vivid life filled with their own friends and thoughts and dreams that are just as important as yours so you need to just remember you know that you know everyone has A life that is really um, as important. Um, Oh, I just, I just love that sort of thought because um, I think we we tend to forget that. I think we we always think you know sort of like the world revolves around us and it doesn't, you know. Um, And then just be brave enough to call out acts of discrimination, sexism, and racism that you see, no matter how subtle. Um, I think it's the only way that we can change the culture, and I think. People are not always aware of what they're saying or, or what they're doing and, and how that's affecting you. So I think it's important to, to be brave and stand up for that. And then to the women rising to the top, um, and I speak for myself as well, um, when you feel um, scared and exposed, you know, standing up there alone, um, you need to be brave and remember that there are women behind you that are watching you. And if you cannot sort of take those steps for yourself, uh, do it for them. Do it so that they have a better experience than you, that they feel more included and, and belong. Um, yeah, so just, just remember that there are a lot of junior people watching you, and um, you need to be brave.
0: Wow, that's so special. Dr. Tiart, thank you so much for spending the time with us and speaking with us today. I, I sincerely appreciate it. And I'm, I'm really happy that we were able to talk.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It's been an honor.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Marie Diart. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. You can visit our website at www.shecanfixitpod.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.